You are listening to a National Gallery of Victoria audio program available at www.ngv.vic.gov.au. In this episode, Philip Brophy talks about the history of manga. Looking at this vast range of work that Tezuka produced, not only can one get an introduction to manga culture, what is the manga art form all about? How did it come about? Who was responsible? What are the kind of styles and techniques involved? But one can also, as is the case with encountering anything from Japan, perceive ways in which it stretches back through time, through Japanese cultural history. And this is most noticeable in manga in terms of how it, as a drawing medium, as a painting medium, relates to pre-existing or previous schools and movements and periods of painting and drawing. And clearly the graphic sensibility of manga has strong relationships with the ukiyo-e period of printmaking and drawing, where you had very stylized approaches to not only uh, single and multiple frames and scrolls that told stories and narrated incidents or depicted famous events, but also in the way that ukiyo-e framed portraiture and made stars and characters out of existing theatrical personae. And the way in which an iconic character is created in Tezuka's manga is not far removed from the way that iconic characters were created out of actual existing performers in kabuki theatre during the ukiyo-e floating world epoch. And similar techniques of brushwork are used in both, right? This reduced, minimalist, essentialist approach to iconicization, this idea that you can reduce the human face down to a series of discrete brushstrokes. And through that reduction, one captures the essential quality of that character. And manga is very much predicated on this, this ultra-simplification of the human form, of the body, of the face, of the expressions on the face, to maximise impact in an instant. And ukiyo-e portraiture very much has this. You see an ukiyo-e print or painting, and pow, there's that face. Everything that you can get from that face hits you all at the same time. This is not what you get in the history of European portraiture, right? You know, the painting and the face, it kind of grows on you. It has to somehow entice you into its domain, which is usually a dark and shadowy domain. It's kind of got this receding depth to it. It doesn't matter even if it's pre-Renaissance flat in a sense. There's still this sense of like this kind of world in which it's embodied in. Ukiyo, a portraiture, Right, has a void behind it. Right? It doesn't necessarily have the room or the background, and even if it does, it's so skeletally referred to. Right? So 
characters and beings and bodies and faces in ukiyo-e portraiture and landscape and social depictions uh, often stylize how a performer or a character is staged on this platform. Right? And this is very kabuki as well, this idea that you've got someone that's completely made up in this artificial representation of themselves, right down to the fact that, of course, that it's males performing all the female roles. But not only that, uh, when you're watching something like Kabuki Theatre, you're completely conscious at every nanosecond that there is nothing real on stage. Right, The backdrops are completely flat, yet they are insistent on showing you the locales that they're talking about. And you're thinking, well, why are you even showing me this? It's like it's so graphic and reduced, but still it's an important gestural graphic aspect of the stage production. So that's what you get in ukiyo-e portraiture and painting and and, uh, printmaking as well. And the same thing is in manga, the way that pages are drawn, the way that suddenly a frame will have a close-up of a character, the way that the characters and their bodies are drawn in ways that dislocates them from their surroundings. In manga, everything is staged. There's nothing necessarily realistic. And so uh, looking at Tezuka's work, uh, one can... see ways in which he shifted through these modalities of representing people, of representing backgrounds, of incorporating the relationship between the two as part of a staging of his stories. And I've often regarded Tezuka as much a theatre director as a manga artist, the way that he stages his stories. So it's not like he's directing a film. It really does feel like that he has these characters And he has these backdrops and it's almost like he's directing Kabuki. Um, Tezuka has never consciously referred to this. And he himself was surprised once in the 50s when a critic referred to some of his work as having connections to Kabuki theatre. So this is an outsider's perspective saying, well, I can see the connection between Tezuka's work and Kabuki theatre, though it might not have been a conscious decision on Tezuka's part. But I think that something like the graphic approach and sensibility that's in Japanese culture and history, it's evident in both Kabuki, in Ukiyo-e and in manga. And it's still present in current anime as well, this particular stylized, flattened approach to depicting people and their surroundings. So looking at these pages by Tezuka, uh, one can perceive these echoes and these repercussions and these replays of traditional Japanese painting in many senses, which is something that I think uh, has been ignored by manga. And it's great that we have a museum presentation of Tezuka's work which will hopefully facilitate with greater ease the obvious connections between something like post-war mass entertainment mass media like Tezuka's manga to more rarefied forms of printmaking but of course we must always remember that ukiyo-e was you know the mass medium of the time you know they were like just people buying uh, huge printouts uh, at a cheap rate of their famous um, the, the, or their most favourite idol singers. So really, you know, pop culture arguably starts in the ukiyo-e period. <laughs>